reinventing yourself and living life outside of the boundaries that you've actually just created for yourself. That could mean chasing a career you didn't think you could have, chasing a lifestyle that you didn't think was accessible to you or doable in the slightest. This reinventing yourself can come from multiple different paths. The thing about reinventing yourself is a lot of people feel that their time has passed. They may feel that the opportunity to do so just hasn't presented itself yet, and they will know clear as day when it does. They may not have time to plan for a reinvention. They may not have time to plan for changing careers. They may very seriously just need the money now and not have what some may think is a luxury to sit back, think about a career shift, take the time to learn something new and apply for jobs or apply themselves in time-consuming, albeit meaningful and usually very fortuitous ways. There is a lot to say about just having an advantage to reinvention. I'd love to challenge that thought just a little bit and encourage you to think about reinventing yourself in the way that is accessible to you before it's made itself apparent. And what I mean by that is plan ahead, far ahead. Say that you are financially insecure right now and you don't want to stay that way. Plan out in a year. You will, you know, apply for a boot camp to learn a new skill. In a year, you will apply to a trade school or go back to college if that is what you need to do to further your specific career desires. In a year, you will set sail around the world. Plan for it now and save the money, develop some skills that you can in the meantime, and then in that year's time, you'll be even more ready. Reinventing yourself does not need to be a, I woke up today and I decided to do this and I did it. It is that way for some people. I would say for a majority of people, it is not that easy because life gets in the way. You have other responsibilities. You have financial obligations. You have obligations to other people, to maybe your place that you're living. You can't always just pick up and do something. But what you can do is make steps towards planning to do that something. And then jump in head first because you are a little bit more set up for success because you were able to plan it out. I myself don't know if I ever would have the guts to do something like sail around the world. I myself don't know if I would ever have the belief in myself and my intellectual capabilities to pursue a coding boot camp. <laughs> Though 
I've talked about that on this podcast before, that to become a software engineer, to become a mobile developer, what have you, you don't need a computer science degree. To become a product manager, you don't need a business degree. I have been told to my face by somebody who was a product manager that having a business degree is basically the way that that happens to become a product manager. That might have been their reality. That is not the reality. There are boot camps. There are ways to learn skills for free online and practice yourself and take online tests even to test yourself and how far you've come in your abilities. It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. There are so many ways to get to where you want to go. It does not need to be tomorrow. But if you wake up and you decide that you want to pursue something different in your life, plan for it and make it happen for yourself. That is exactly what Liz Shipton, the guest today, did. She is currently sailing around the world, living many people's wildest dreams with her boyfriend and her dog, and she writes books about it. And before that, she wanted to be a software engineer, and so she decided to go to a boot camp and learn the skills needed. And then she got a job in Silicon Valley. She is walking living proof that... The college degree to get to where you want to go may not always be what you need to get to where you want to go. There's probably another way. And if you really want to put your current life on hold and pursue a life of travel, whether that be in a van, whether that be on a boat around the world, whatever that might be, You have it in your capabilities. You have the guts. You have the grit to do it. I can promise you that. I didn't believe that I could before talking to Liz. And now, if I wanted to pick up and pursue something for even a couple of months where I put everything on hold and I pursue a life on the road, I honestly feel more confident that I could figure it out, I could plan for it, and I could make it happen for myself, just like she did. Her story is remarkable. It did not happen overnight. She planned for it, and she has excellent advice on living your life the way that you want to live it and what that meant to her. Welcome back to the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater. I'm your host. I'm so, so stoked you are here. And I'm so stoked for you to meet Liz. Are you ready? Let's go. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to. Okay. So tonight we are chatting with Liz Shipton. Liz is cool as shit, (laughs) sailing around the world and writing about the adventures 
in young adults, fantasy novels. I'm sure maybe they're not all young adult because I saw some that seemed not too young adult, (laughs) Um, but we could absolutely get into that. But before that, you were a software engineer with no computer science degree and with a boot camp education. Super excited to get into both of these things. But thank you for being here, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. As I mentioned, we do have the two topics that I'd love to focus on here. So we have your amazing confidence to sail around the world and share your experiences through fiction, which is super unique. And then fiction-esque, I guess, if it's based on your experiences. And then with the the software engineer background. So want to get into both of those, but we can start with what I think is the coolest, which is the sailing. And we can just dive right in if you're ready. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you live on a sailboat full-time with your dog and your boyfriend. Yes. How does this happen? (laughs) Okay. So my boyfriend, it has been a sailor for a while. He like, when he was a kid, got into it a little bit. And then when we lived in San Diego, we both went to school down there and he wound up teaching sailing for San Diego State for a little bit as part of their rec Jeez. program. It's not like a sort of, he's not like a university professor or anything like that, but just like through their rec program, wound up teaching and got back into it and realized he really loved it. And then he went abroad for two years and worked in Greece and Croatia as a skipper and basically just was living on the boat and running these tours for weeks at a time or whatever, and was talking to me on the phone from Europe. And we were both just going, he's going, Oh, I really like this. Like, it's it's really cool. And I was going, yeah, it sounds really cool. And then that conversation just snowballed, I guess. And we, at first, I think when we talked about moving onto the boat or onto a boat, a big part of it was that where I'm from or where we're both from in Santa Cruz, California, housing is like crazy expensive. Like it's just ludicrous. And we both Mm -hmm. looked at the market and we were like, this seems insane. And I don't know if this is necessarily what we want to do. And so we thought we're just going to buy a boat and live on that. And originally it was just going to be, oh, we're just going to live on the boat at the dock because it'll be way cheaper than paying rent or buying a house. Mm. And then it just became, if we're going to have this boat, we might as well take it somewhere. Why stay here? Why stay in one place? We should just go. So Yeah, it took a long time from those like initial conversations. It was probably like five or almost six years from that initial, we're gonna buy a boat and live on it to actually like leaving the dock and setting sail and going away. And then during, and during that time, I became a software engineer, mostly Mm -hmm. honestly, in order to pay for the boat and like all the expenses. Cause prior to that, we were both musicians and we were both like completely broke. Yeah. It was just a crazy idea that sort of snowballed into a real thing. When did you get the dog? Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) Stupidly enough, we had already decided to move on to the boat when we decided to get the dog. Wow. Because me, in my mind, here, this is the thing. It's like, I do everything as, yeah, that'll work. (laughs) Like, I'll just do that. And so, yeah, we got the dog and... (laughs) Now we have the dog and she's on the boat and she's 80 pounds. And it's like not the most convenient thing in the world, but she's great. She Mm -hmm. likes it. We love her. I wouldn't have it any other way. It was definitely probably not the most efficient choice. Yeah. (laughs) What are you going to do? I love that spirit 
It seems like that's the thread through a lot of your experiences. It's what could happen. We're just, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah. That is a big part of my approach to life for better or worse. I think I mean, it's led you to really cool things. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's okay. 80 pounds though. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Big buddy. I was expecting like a little dog, but that's great. That would have been smart. A little dog would have been very smart. <laughs> In some ways they need more exercise sometimes than a big dog. That's true. Our dog is super chill. She's yeah. perfectly happy just like laying on the couch with us, like going for a few walks every day. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. You can't get better than that. Yeah. So you did say a little bit about the life before that you were a musician and everything in terms of you sailing though, obviously your boyfriend, did you learn to sail while you got the boat? Like when you got the boat? No, <laughs> I, I once again was like, I'll learn when we're doing it. I'll just jump into it and figure it out. Pretty much you have to, right? And yep. I still, obviously my boyfriend is like the captain. He knows what he's doing. He is super, super good at everything. And I am like basically the first mate. I know my jobs and my roles on the boat and I do them. I would not say, oh, I could totally do this on my own or I'm gonna, and I have no real desire to do that. But yeah, I just jumped in and figured it out and had a great teacher also in my boyfriend. That's awesome. And probably very patient. And it's like a cool experience you guys are sharing. Your yeah, face. So, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love that. And then you're sharing these example or your adventures through your books. So it's sci-fi, fantasy are your genres. Is that right? Yes. So primarily at the moment, dystopian sci-fi. Sweet. I am also working on a fantasy series, but that's like on the back burner at the moment. But yeah. Should I talk about them or? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear about them. And then really your biggest hurdles for beginning to write, because it sounds like you don't have that background either. Yeah. So the books, I guess, first of all, are like futuristic dystopian books set in a world underwater basically or not underwater but like water world type situation where climate change and pandemics etc 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 have destroyed the world and sailing is like the law basically and there's this girl her name is bird she's a wreck she's like becoming an alcoholic and struggling mm -hmm. a lot and she's got this very patient sailing teacher by the name of sargo who they basically threw a lot of reckless and terrible decisions that bird makes, they end up on the run and having to sail across this like dystopian world together. Oh, uh, cool. Okay. They, they like fight pirates and they rescue a dog. And it's a, the book at the moment, or I'm sorry, the series at the moment is five books. So there's like a main trilogy and then there's two prequels. But yeah, it's fun. It's like romance and adventure mm -hmm. and dystopian stuff and some sci-fi and it's it's just a good time. So yeah, I love the Waterworld references. I feel like Waterworld yeah. just is very underrated. I know it tried to be the whole thing. So funny is I had never really thought about using that because to me, I don't know why I always thought Waterworld people thought it was like really cheesy or didn't think it was cool. And then I'm on TikTok and I put out questions to my TikTok people and they were like, oh my God, Waterworld. I love Waterworld. And I was like, really? <laughs> oh, okay, great. I think it has this reputation for being a big flop because it was yeah. so expensive to make. And I don't think it made a lot of money back, but I think it's really well done. And the character development is really cool. The story is amazing. It's so timely now, especially. Yeah. 
It's like we basically are living in dystopian times in some respects, (laughs) but that's really cool. Bird is a great name for a main character. I'm a big fan. I like coming up with real silly names for stuff. So yeah, it's like a big, it's a big part of what's your dog's name. My dog's name is Aloy. She's actually named after a video game character from the video game Horizon Zero Dawn. But in the book, so obviously the books are like super based on my life. So there is a dog in the book and the dog in the book's name is Malarkey. (laughs) Name that I'm super proud of. That's very cute. Yeah. Oh, Malarkey. Yeah. Oh, Malarkey. Yeah. So when you're raising it, it's like, that's oh, Malarkey. Exactly. Very cute. (laughs) I love the tie into adventure books. I think that's a really good stepping stone almost for somebody or young adults, even that are really curious about life of adventure, which you're very clearly living. It might not always feel like you're living that from your perspective. I could imagine it might be a little bit chaotic, but from the outside looking in, it's just so exciting. Not a lot of people want to follow the path. Yeah, I, I definitely like with the books was hoping to, so like, the majority of the characters are female. There's LGBTQ representation in there. And I tried to, I really wanted to put this world out there where like badass women were doing cool things and badass people of all, like of all genders, of all races, of all everything were doing something other than like the normal thing. Cause I don't know. I'm like a big believer in that idea that there are alternative paths that people don't always consider. Absolutely. Have you always been that way or did you have an awakening? I don't know. Yeah, I think probably. I had a mom who was like very strong and she actually, so this is a funny story. My mom and dad met on a boat like way back in the day. They both worked offshore. My mom was like the only woman on this oil rig, basically working on a survey crew amongst a bunch of dudes with clothes that like didn't fit her because she they were all made for men and this is like the 70s but like that's who raised me and put all these crazy ideas in my head (laughs) so that's really I love that like full circle that on a boat now you're living on a boat do you have any specific advice for people who are wanting to step outside of their comfort zone and do something quote-unquote crazy like with their life, like completely flip the script? I would say, so it's funny when I thought about this question, the first thing that always pops into my head is just do it. But I actually don't think that's great advice. I think it does take planning and it does take like time and commitment and like a real, you just have to say, this is what I'm going to do. And then you have to go after it and you have to arrange your life in support of that. There's a lot of advice out there that's don't wait, just go. That is valuable because there does have to be that kind of spirit of just at a certain point, you just have to go for it. Just jump. Yeah. But you do also really need to plan and be diligent and learn a lot. And you can't just necessarily blindly throw yourself into it. It definitely sounds like I did that from the way that I put myself across a lot of the time. But I think behind the scenes, there is like a lot of planning and forethought and preparation and that kind of thing. You did say it took five or six years of kind of just talking about it. And you probably were developing the plans, developing the lifestyle, what it looked like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that advice. I hold that dear when I am trying to figure out next steps or like wanting to do something that's way outside of my comfort zone. I'm a huge planner. 
Yeah. Months yeah. in advance if I can. Love it. And then just have what it is you're going for. I always talk about North Star, like just make sure you have that on your horizon. What are you doing this for? Contingency plans if it doesn't work out. Do you, I don't think I put this in any of the questions, but do you guys have plan Bs all over the place? <laughs> Somewhat. Yeah. We kind of plan to do this for three to five years slash however long we'd like to do it. If knock on wood, heaven forbid something were to go wrong. We are able, like we have enough savings that like we would be okay. That was another thing, right? It's like the sort of the planning preparation was like making sure that we had a little bit put away in case stuff goes wrong. Yeah. As far as like day-to-day contingency plans, my boyfriend is definitely better at that kind of stuff than I am. <laughs> I'm more of like the long-term planner and he's like more of a day-to-day kind of guy. He's the oh shit planner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We have to have the balance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I took a poll from Instagram mentioned to you earlier and basically was just like, without saying who you are or your books, just in case they knew, just to keep it fresh. If you could ask a world sailor, any mm-hmm. somebody that's sailing around the world, jumped in both feet, full steam ahead, pun intended, what would you ask? And I have a few questions if you are ready to just run through some of them. First question, what mantra or thoughts helped you when you were at your lowest learning things and Mm. almost like catching up to a lifestyle that your boyfriend leads, I would think. I think one that helps me a lot is any variation on this too shall pass, which is Mm -hmm. like whatever state you're in right now is temporary and things will change. I think what is important to remember about that is that like, they aren't necessarily going to change for the better. They might get worse, but things will change. And with that change will come probably an opportunity to do something to improve your situation or reach out to someone for help or whatever it may be things are temporary and they do change no matter how much it might feel when you're in the middle of it that oh god this is never going to end and this is the worst ever eventually it won't be yeah and that's a beautiful reminder to keep an eye out for those things that are there to help you too yeah like showing that love that do you get lonely and how do you cope i a little bit i think my boyfriend gets lonelier than i do i'm like a big introvert which may sound crazy because I'm like wow like this (laughs) I am like perfectly happy to be on my own for long stretches of time especially writing like I can just sit and write and write and write and write and not talk to anyone ever I definitely do get lonely sometimes I think there is actually people may be surprised to know a surprising number of people out here also doing this what we're doing very surprising okay yeah there's a whole kind of worldwide community of we call or cruisers basically who live on the boats and sail and some people do it temporarily like seasonally they'll go for example from California down to like Baja Mexico for Mm -hmm. the winter and then maybe go back there's other people like us who have been doing this for a long time there's people who've been out here for like over 10 years just living on their boats and sailing around so there is in certain places like a built-in community of other people who like you drop your anchor next to and then you'll see them on the beach or you if you stay in a marina there's usually people around there so yeah you can apart from in like very remote spots which 
<clears throat> we're in sometimes, but you're not, you're never like always in a remote spot. You're usually going to come back to some sort of civilization or community at some point. Demographically, is it a lot of people around your age, or I can imagine like retired folks really want yeah, to do this. There's a lot of retired folks for sure. There are actually more people around our age than I expected there to be. Mm. <clears throat> so we've met people when we were coming through Mexico, we met lots of people who were our age who were doing the same thing. Not all of them doing it permanently or for a long stretch like we are, more doing seasonally and making it work with their jobs and that kind of thing. But yeah, I'd say the majority definitely skews older, but there are more young people out here than I expected for sure. Very cool. This next one is a question that I had myself. I'm glad that I believe it was Jess submitted this, but she was very curious about storms. And we, of course, have seen the movies. And I'm sure that there's a lot of planning that goes into tracking the weather patterns and making sure you are clear out of harm's way. But can you speak to that? Yeah. So we've been fortunate enough that we honestly have not dealt with any real serious weather. And it is because there's a lot of planning, Mm -hmm. a lot of watching the weather and figuring out when the best time is to go to a certain place. For example, right now, it is just about hurricane season in the Caribbean where we are. We basically just make sure we're not in the hurricane zone. And same thing when we were in Mexico last year, you know, there's a certain, there's the hurricane belt, right? Where hurricanes are really prevalent. As long as you're south of that or north of that, you should be fine. So unfortunately, it's not super exciting <laughs> to, to talk about, but it is, again, it's like that planning and preparation and watching the weather and just trying to be smart about it and be informed. Yeah. We don't really want to go out and live your best perfect storm reenactment. There's definitely been a couple, when we came into Chiapas, Mexico, there's a lot of lightning around there and lightning Uh is like a thing that is super, super scary on a boat because you're the tallest thing out there. It will find you and it will hit your mast and it'll just destroy all your electronics. I mean, it'll blow a hole in your boat. It'll just like, so when we were coming into Chiapas and we could see lightning happening all around us and we were just like, Oh God, what do we do? <laughs> so we, and we just, we honestly, we just put on the motor and we turned around and we motored away from it for an hour. And then we, at a certain point, we're like, okay, let's feel safe. And we went back. Wow. It's so stressful, but also so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And masks, are they aluminum, like a type of metal usually? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's even more of an attract. For the most part, some boats are made of wood, not typically nowadays, but yeah. Yeah. So cool. And the last submit submitter question, what is the biggest thing you miss about not having a traditional home? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Honestly, I would say the space for sure. We actually never lived in a super big place. Even when we were on land, we lived in like a basically a studio apartment. So we have gotten pretty used. My boyfriend and I have been together like 13 years. And in that time, we basically lived in one room pretty much. Or like wow. two rooms. You really like each other. Like a one bedroom. So we were already used to being in close quarters and sharing space and that kind of thing. But it is definitely different being on a boat. And that is one thing that I would definitely, particularly for storage, just being able to put things away and put them out of sight is like very much something that I like to do and is not always possible to do on a boat because you just don't have space to store. Yeah. Do you miss being able to sit on the couch and decide to order takeout? (laughs) No, not really. We were never big takeout people. We have mm. a couch. It's not a couch, but it's two settees in our living room area. 
so we sit on the couch and we have a projector instead of a tv with a lot of don't tell anyone pirated movies on it <laughs> and it um, only fits yeah <laughs> so yeah we can still we have a lot of just normal regular experiences and then we do we really love like when we get to a city like cartagena where we're anchored now we're always like okay, let's go find the Domino's. Let's go find the food that we like haven't gotten to eat for however many And you've been craving. Yeah, I think that would be one of my biggest hurdles, honestly, is because like my cravings are strong and fierce and (laughs) they're hard to get rid of. (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys have a traditional oven set up? Is that safe on a boat? Yeah, we have. So we have a propane stove. It's very small. It has three burners on it. And that handles everything. It does, like right now, where we are is hot. And when we cook on the propane stove, especially if you're like boiling water, it tends to just make the entire boat like unbearably hot, so hot. (laughs) So right now we're doing a lot of cooking outside on the barbecue. We have a barbecue that like mounts to the rail. We're trying to do most of our cooking out there right now, just because it's it's just crazy. We We have a little stove and we have a little fridge and freezer. Right now, the freezer's not actually freezing anything because it's too hot. But yeah, it's all these little things that like after two years that we've been doing this, you just get used to it and you're like, we don't have ice anymore. Oh, it is what it is. What are you going to do? It's what it is. Yeah. Could you just float a cooler alongside your boat in the water if it's really cold water? The you water was cold, but the water's 80 degrees. So oh, never work. mind. Yeah. Back up in California. Yes, for sure. But not down here. Oh, man. Just go for a swim instead. 80 degrees sounds wonderful. That is, that's the major upside is like literally when we're anchored on these like beautiful islands is you just jump off the boat into the water and it's, you can see all the way to the bottom. Like it's crazy. Oh man. What's the most beautiful place you've been anchored? Oh, that's such a hard question. I, man. So we stopped at this one spot in Costa Rica called Santa Elena, which was like right on the edge of the jungle. And there was like nobody else there. We were the only boat, the only people for, I don't even know how many miles around. And the jungle just came right down to the water. Oh my Uh, gosh. Like when the tide was low, you could walk in a little bit, but it was like so dense. You couldn't really get into the jungle, but you could walk next to it. And the water was like turquoise. And yeah, that was pretty special. There were like parrots flying over the boat in the morning and the evening. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, that that was a really cool spot. And then a couple places we were in Panama, actually. Panama is really beautiful, which I didn't know was and was not expecting. But if anyone's looking for a cheaper alternative to Costa Rica, Panama, Panama. is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, monkeys and just like parrots and beautiful water and yeah amazing yeah I was yeah when you said anchoring and like just having the rainforest come up to the beach basically and it's so dense I'm just thinking what lives in there right (laughs) the craziest wildlife you've ever seen yeah for sure and you don't really want to mess with it probably a lot of it (laughs) oh gosh it's such a cool life you lead on the boat I'm almost jealous. I didn't ever think that I would be the type that would want to do that, but I learned to sail. I lived in California when I was a kid and I loved it so much. I loved it so much. And then I, we sailed, my dad had a catamaran boat. And so we sailed that around in whatever lakes we could find when we moved to the Midwest, but I never picked it up again as an adult. And I think that I'm going to, I live in Seattle, so it's very accessible. Yeah, that's I should. Perfect. Where in California did you live? I was in the Stockton area, so Lodi. 
and learn to sail out in the Delta area. Um, yeah. And it was so fun. That's a cool, that's a cool spot. Yeah. I loved it. And then we did a little bit of ocean, but then we moved. And so we did a lot of lake sailing in Kansas, which was pretty darn fun. And it's, it felt less, less big time because it was more land around you. (laughs) So it's like a little safer, but yeah, that's so cool. Maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe this is, this is inspiring me to pick it back up. Actually, I think I will. (laughs) So I'd love to get into your other past life and that is software engineer. You're not still software engineer. You're a full-time author, Sailor. So I'm currently, basically I parlayed my software experience into some freelance writing. So Mm. I now write online content, like about coding So I write like tutorials and blog posts and things about JavaScript and Python sometimes and other technical sort of how-to type things. So I I don't code anymore except for to build my own website, excuse me, for the author stuff and to help out a couple of people I know, like my little brother and stuff. But I don't really code that much anymore because to be totally honest, it was never like my passion. I enjoyed it a lot and it was so incredibly fulfilling to learn and do. Mm. And I met some really incredible people, but it was never something that I was like so passionate about that I wanted to pursue it forever. I love this. So you started with studying music yeah, yeah. in <laughs> university and in some way, somewhere along your journey out of university, you go to a boot camp for coding. Why? I was tired of being broke. Okay. So yeah, they make a lot of money. (laughs) Software engineer make a lot. Yeah, they do make a lot of money. I was, I was a musician. I grew up playing music. I studied music in college. I got a degree in music. And then I was a teacher. I was a music teacher, like privately, a private music teacher. And I had my own band and I used to sing and do gigs and all that kind of stuff. And then actually when my boyfriend and I started coming up with this plan for sailing, I realized we're going to need some money because we don't really have any right now. And I looked around and was like, what's the thing that is just going to make me the most money? And I saw a software engineer and I was like, wow, they make a lot. I'll try that. You're not um, wrong. And it worked. Yeah. It did work. I love that. And you went to a boot camp, right? Mm-hmm. How long yep. was the boot camp? 13 weeks. Wow. So it was like about three months, a little over three months. It was called Hack Reactor. I highly recommend it. If anyone is considering doing a boot camp, it was an incredible experience. It was like mind bending and life changing and so hard. I basically, moved to Oakland for three months and crashed on my friend's couch. And then I would wake up and go code for like 12 to 16 hours a day at this boot camp, and then come home and like crash on his couch again, and then wake up and do it all again. And it was like six days a week. Just it was like nonstop and super intense. Whoa. Um, but yeah, if that's the kind of thing you're into, I highly recommend it. Do you feel that you were able to pick it up pretty easily? Coding? Some, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I struggled with a lot of it because I, I don't know, math and stuff like that was always really hard for me. I did Same. not like yeah. uh, I actually got into music. Part of why I pursued music was because I just hated math so much. I didn't want to do it. And I think my like stubborn willingness to just make it work probably helped me more than necessarily being able to pick it up quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, there were people in class who were just like geniuses and I would just watch them and be like, wow, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would cry. Learning SQL alone was very hard for me. And that's just a querying language. SQL is tough. I, so that's not really, I know a little bit. Yeah. That's not what I do. I did more like front end and some back end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, SQL, SQL is hard. Yeah. It's just, it's complex, right? And there's so much, the part that I find the most difficult is when you are learning people's databases and their logic and like trying to figure out literally how to navigate it. And sometimes they're just huge. <laughs> so yeah. It's yeah. so difficult. But I've dabbled in Python and I wonder if I've come across any of your instructional videos. I'm wondering. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't ever made any videos. I've mostly just written tutorials. Okay. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll make a video. But yeah, reading other people's code in general is just, you're like going inside another person's mind. Yeah. (laughs) It's just being like, what were you thinking here? Yeah. (laughs) Then you realize it's yours and you wrote it like six months ago. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, God, this person, what were they thinking? Oh, this is me. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Look, what up? What was I thinking? Don't I take <laughs> notes? Like, where are the notes? <laughs> I think that has a lot of transferability, honestly, to music education, because you have to think so creatively. And music notes are pretty universal and they don't necessarily change from one person's brain to the next, but you do have to get a rhythm that they're going for, right? And Mm -hmm. try to understand the composition in that way. Do you see any transferable skills from music to coding in particular? I would say one of the big ones is just the, is understanding like the importance of practice and like repetition and just being able to sit down with the thing and focus on it and be quiet in a space and make yourself learn it because it's a very not necessarily always like coding is great when you can do it with other people and you can bounce ideas off of them and like rubber duck but at the end of the day it does end up being like you and your computer or you and your instrument and you just have to sit there until it works and I think that to me is like the really big transferable skill between like music and software you just got to grind it out yeah, sit there and grind it out. Other people may have different opinions. It could be just me because like I said, I am not a genius. I just had to grind it out. Other people may not, but yeah. I think there's some truth to that. And I'm literally only speaking from a couple Instagram videos I've seen of mm-hmm. other people. I'm really interested in like work setups, like how people set up their workspace. And mm-hmm. so Instagram feeds that to me sometimes. And there's some people that are like, I am a software engineer and I've been working on this same code for six days trying to get it. And I'm like, <laughs> is that what you do in your actual job? I figured that's when you're learning. No, that's the thing is, and this is the thing that I also learned when I was a software engineer is like the world is just built by people like me. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody like, knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And you sit and you like become a coder and you sit there and you're like, I still don't really know how this works. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In my day job, like I work with software engineers on a daily basis to try to figure out bugs. And it is a lot of back and forth of, I wonder if this will work. And like sometimes the whole thing crashes and then other things break. And then those things, other things break. And it's, oh my God, it's a terrible ecosystem in a lot of ways, but it also makes a lot of sense to people that built it, I'm sure. But for me, I'm like, why does that break that? That has nothing to do with that. How are they connected? <laughs> yeah, that is how it is. What is your, what's your position? 
I'm a product specialist. Okay. So yeah, I basically am just trying to find the bugs in the product and understand if it's like more knowledge will help people not encounter the bug or if it's something we actually have to fix. Yeah. And yeah. ideally it's the latter, but it's hard to get buy-in as yeah. it's just like the way it works. So in terms of your interviewing then, I, this, I'm very curious about this because in the world of product and engineering, there is this elitism of you went to business school, you have a computer science degree. It is a huge gate around it and lots of barriers to entry that I don't necessarily agree with. But because you have the boot camp background and you were trying to get jobs in Silicon Valley, what were the reactions to your degree? And mm-hmm. the boot camp experience trying to get a software engineering job. So honestly, for the most part, people were very receptive and Love it. and I don't know if that maybe is a Silicon Valley thing or California thing or because we're all hippies out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the most part, people were people just want to see that you or in my experience, people just wanted to see that you could code, yeah. that you could do the thing. Maybe I just got lucky, but most of the people that I ever interacted with were nothing but like helpful and welcoming and wanting to share their knowledge and wanting to bring in like new people and like outside voices and open the world up a little bit, if that makes sense. That is the exact answer I was really hoping for, because that is, I think, what gives people the most confidence to pursue, there's probably a lot of people out there that would love to be a developer of some sort, whether it's web or app or what have you, but they just don't think that they can because they didn't go to school for it. But it's, that's just not the reality. And Silicon Valley is, I think the most cutthroat you can get in the experience for the rest of at least the United States in terms of tech. So I think that's, it's really promising. With your coworkers then, were they as just as welcoming? And did you kind of place on yourself a lot of impact that you're like, oh, I have to prove myself. I, as an anxiety riddled person, struggled with imposter syndrome the entire time that I was a software engineer. It like never went away. I think I was like five years or something like that, six years, something like that. And I, to the day I stopped, I was still just, and I think that's not just my experience. I think that is the experience that many people do have. And it's so hard because you can tell people and tell people like, it's fine. Everyone deals with this. Everyone feels like an imposter and you're fine, but it, you just, you're never going to believe it. I don't know why people just don't internalize that. It's such a, it is a really difficult thing for sure. Yeah. And in my experience, I am almost like, you're just saying that to make me feel better. Surely not everybody feels the same way I do. And if I feel like I don't belong here, like you, you were acting like you belong here more than me. Obviously you're smarter than me. So it's, you do create these narratives in your head. Yeah. And they're really difficult to dislodge for sure. They really are. I'm really glad that you had an amazing experience. Do you think you would ever go back to being an engineer if you... Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I do. I do sometimes think about it. I think I would maybe go back in like a, another capacity, like maybe as a technical writer or something like that, where mm-hmm. I could, I like the idea of being able to be a liaison between tech and 
normal people <laughs> um, being able to translate almost. And so like the writing that I do now where I get to explain like how to use code or like how to use this product. I find that to be really fulfilling because it does shed a light on a thing that I think a lot of people think is really scary and doesn't need to be scary. Yeah, it is very scary. It's learning new languages and that's very intimidating. Oh, in that vein, just thought of, have you been able to learn any languages because you've been stationed long in places? Yeah, I do speak Spanish pretty well, but I already I learned it in high school. I was, I just really loved Spanish in high school. So I went all the way through AP Spanish and then worked in a Mexican restaurant for a little while where I learned all the like other words, (laughs) the actually useful words. And then (laughs) I didn't speak it for probably 10 years. And then Mm. on this trip have picked it up again and it all just came back. So yes, I get to speak Spanish, which is great because I really love it. It feels like a superpower. It's awesome. I yeah I mean it's especially being bilingual it feels a superpower and it's a beautiful language it's beautiful to listen to I love the music Uh, and any rendition from English to Spanish I think it's just it's gorgeous and it's something about I love how you are learning these new things as an adult because they do tell you obviously you're a sponge when you're a child so there's like the immersion programs that you can learn both languages when you're really young But as an adult, I almost feel like I learned better than when I was a kid. Yeah. You, because you want to, I think that is a big, that's a big part of learning that gets overlooked is like, you just, you have to want to learn it. If you don't care, you're just, you're not going to absorb it and you're not going to try. But now as an adult, there are things that I want to do. And so you just got to learn them. Yeah. And you do, you sit down and you spend the time and you have the attention span, which is another thing that you don't necessarily have as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you have to get through it. Yeah. In your music background, did you play a specific instrument? I started with piano Mm -hmm. when I was younger and then I mostly was like a singer and a songwriter. So I would compose, I had a band, like a 10 piece band, and I would compose all the music for that, for all the various instruments. By the time I stopped I was primarily a singer and that's mostly what I like to do of all of these lives of yours and these I guess like facets of yourself which is your favorite which part of your life has been your favorite in terms of learning I don't know huh what an interesting question I did love performing and being a musician I think that there's like a part of my personality that really just likes to go, hey, and do that in front of a bunch of people for whatever reason. (laughs) So that was super fun and probably one of the best like times of my life. And I do really hope to be able to return to music at some point. I do it. I play like I play and I sing on the boat and I'll jam with people whenever I can. But I think secretly in the back of my mind, I always hope one day to have a band again and just be that crazy person again. Do you find that a lot of introverts like that, like a stage presence? I've actually thought about this because you're either reciting a play or you're singing lyrics that you already know, or you're playing an instrument that you already know. And all you have to do is stand there and you don't actually have to talk to anyone. You just are up there doing your thing and the audience Uh. sits there and watches you do it. So in a weird way, I have thought about this a lot. I actually think that introverts do well on stage or like maybe are drawn to it in some way or like certain performers and singers, you can go, oh, maybe 
I feel like a little bit they maybe are an introvert. Yeah, an introvert or very eclectic, very sweet. Would you call maybe like unique, strange? Like they strange. do very well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And definitely yeah. not saying you are. If you want to identify as strange, I totally Hopefully understand. Fully strange. That's totally fine. I live on a boat. Like what? <laughs> it's a strange life. Yeah, <laughs> but I love that, and it just makes me think of like people like Freddie Mercury. They're just like the outcasts, right. and they, yeah, and they are just so talented. I also sometimes like, I think that the words introvert and extrovert are like, I don't know, not necessarily super great descriptors for people, yeah. just putting people into these boxes. Yep. It's like everyone is everything to some degree, I think. I think so. We all want our alone time. We all want to be involved with people and build relationships that are meaningful. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And people are so complex. We don't fit in boxes at all. <laughs> a couple more questions for you. I know we're coming pretty close to an hour here, but the, in terms of learning to code in a boot camp and how you basically jumped into your lifestyle sailing, is there yeah. anything differently that you would do, anything you would do differently in terms of pursuing these hobbies and paths, career paths? sometimes I think I should have just become an accountant because then I'd have normal, stable, stable yeah. life. Yeah. In terms of like the things that I am doing, I don't think I would do anything differently because I like, what would I do? I've already done everything differently. So. You have. And what would you do? Like I know. I literally your life would not be as exciting. I can guarantee it. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad you are where you are. This is, makes you an incredibly interesting person. And now you have so much in your wheelhouse to fall back on. Honestly, like if sail, if you guys literally decide to go home tomorrow, wherever home is to you, California, and then stay there, you could just pick up another job. You could still teach music. You could be a software Maybe. engineer. He yeah. could still teach yeah. sailing. Yeah. That's true. I guess I haven't actually ever thought about that, but yeah, it's probably true. Honestly, all of your plan B's will always work out because you have C and D too. <laughs> Cause you can like, you have so much to fall back on. It's amazing. And you're a really good testament to following your flights of fancy, right? Cause if you want to do something, just do it mm -hmm. and figure it out as you go. And yeah. if you can't figure it out as you go, ask for help or join a boot yes. camp. <laughs> yes. Asking for help is a big one for sure. Yep. And people are usually very happy to help. They are. That More, was like, yeah. one of my biggest takeaways from learning to code was that people just want to help you. They do. And it's sometimes it's shocking to me that if you ask for help and people are actually very excited to be there for you, yeah. it's, I think, a really important life lesson to not be afraid of that. Yeah. So your books, where can people find them? And if people want to follow your adventures, otherwise, is there a place to do that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the books, actually, as you mentioned at the beginning, there are two versions of the books. Yes. There is a YA version, and then there is an NA version, which is like more adult and has explicit hugging and kissing times. Let's call it that. So if you want to get the YA version, you can find them both on Amazon. Basically, the YA version, book one, is called Salt, 
and the spicy version book one is called salt and fury and then you'll find the whole rest of the series from there on amazon you can also check out my website at lizshipton.com if you happen to be on tiktok you can follow me there i'm at liz shipton author and then if you'd like to follow our sailing adventures you can find us on instagram at sv underscore loki beautiful i'm gonna follow you immediately is it salt <laughs> because like salt like the ocean it's salt for many reasons okay you gotta read if you if you the first page will illuminate that for you actually Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> and then you can hopefully read the rest of it. That yeah. is wonderful. Thank you so much for spending time with me tonight. I can't imagine that it's easy to work around your sailing schedule. So I appreciate it very much. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and fun fact, this is the 50th episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. I am enamored, just blown away that I've been able to develop such a meaningful, amazing listener base. And I get so much joy from interacting with all of you all the time, especially on Instagram. Instagram is the main place where I love to create reels and create some more content about believing in yourself, chasing after it is, whatever it is that drives your soul, and never letting you talk yourself out of things. That is my mission here. I never want you to talk yourself out of the things that you really want to do because of your background, because of what you thought that you knew before, what you were taught, literally what your body could do when you were young. I just want you to go for everything. And I hope that Liz also encouraged you to just go for it. It's incredible that she's sailing around the world with her dog and her boyfriend, and she's having these amazing experiences. And I love that she just goes for it. Yeah, she feels like an imposter. She felt like an imposter as the software developer, as she said. And she just doesn't think that goes away. I don't think that ever goes away. I've talked on a couple episodes and with other podcasters on their podcasts that sometimes you just have to embrace the imposter syndrome and learn from it. What is it telling you? What is it telling about you about what you think your capabilities are? What you, can you learn from it? Where can you grow from it? There's so much we can learn about the inner workings of our brains and our confidence and what drives us just by listening and by getting out of your comfort zone whenever given the opportunity and going after those things that you really didn't think that you could. Go for it. Just go for it. Whatever it is that you want to do. And as Liz was saying, planning is essential. She did say a lot of people say just go for it. But the reality is planning makes sense. Planning will help you with contingencies. Planning will help you feel more prepared for what you're getting into and be more prepared 
you know, financially, physically, mentally, emotionally. Planning really helps. And planning can take a long time. But planning will help you be that much more capable of what you want to do when the time comes. Don't write off your dreams. Do not write off your dreams, friends. If they feel too far away, just map out step by step and take your time and plan for them. I really hope that this speaks to you. And again, thank you for being here. 50 episodes is amazing. Here's to 50 more. Let's go ahead and cheers to that. Your trivia tonight, since we talked a lot about sailing, I was really curious about the world sailing record. There could be so many different types of sailing records I recognize. So I chose one that is basically no stopovers, no assistance. You're just sailing. So only four sailors managed to complete a round-the-world tour in a single-handed multi-hull, new word for me, in a single-handed multi-hull without stopover and without assistance. Only four people have accomplished this in the world today. So that is, and, you know, maybe four, probably like, how many people have able to been able to, without stopover and without assistance, sail around the world? Um, four. But in case you're curious, the four are Francis Joyen, and that was in 2004, 72 days it took him. In 2008, 57 days. This is still Francis. So he beat his own record there in 2008, 57 days, and he previously did it in 72. The next person, Ellen MacArthur, in 2005, did it in 71 days. And then there's Thomas Coville. In 2016, he did it in 49 days. 2011, 61 days. 2008, and 59 days. So he, in 2016, broke his own record. And the first shot he did was in 2008 for 59 days. And that is only interesting. So that's only three people. That's Francis, Ellen, and Thomas. I guess the other four, the fourth one is not mentioned here. But four people managed to complete a round-the-world tour in a single-handed multi-hole without stopover and without assistance, which is just fucking nuts. Absolutely nuts. I can't believe that. And of all of them, in 2016, looks like the record holder is Thomas Coville, which could be another trivia, actually. The record holder for no stopovers, no assistance, sail around the world, Thomas Coville, 2016. 49 days it took him. Damn. Wonder if this is going to be breaking any records out there. Well, thank you so very much again for being here. I will link all of what we talked about below for where to find Liz and her books. I also will link, of course, the socials for this podcast. I am, again, most active on Instagram. And I hope to see you there, at YNQPod. And until then, see you next time. Bye!